Whether it's for work or play, we rely on home internet so much these days. Being connected and staying connected has never been more important. So if you want reliable internet bought you at speed, switch to Aussie Broadband. It only takes a few minutes to sign up and their 100% Australian-based support team are ready to help. Aussie Broadband, the actual Aussie way. Find out more at aussiebroadband.com.au. T's and C's apply. G'day guys, this week on the Dylan Friends podcast, it's Nick Haynes. Haynes is one of my favourite players in the comp, and even though he was an All-Australian in 2020, I still feel like he's underrated. He's an incredible man with an incredible story, and we touch on it all. Being picked up as a 19-year-old after taking three years off playing footy, finding his feet at the top level, and also Haynes opens up on his journey with performance anxiety throughout his career. It's something I can really relate to in my time playing footy, and I know there's some awesome messages in there from Nick. He's one of the most engaged blokes I've seen off-field, meditation, Pilates, filmmaking, surfing, he thinks he's a DJ, and much, much more. Can't thank Nick enough for his time. Incredible show, and I cannot wait for you to hear this one. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some light-hearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Nick Haynes, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast, my friend. Uh, it's It's been a, a long run. I'm very excited to, to have you on today. We are saying off camera before, I've obviously had a lot of giants on, but I was getting you know the easy guys done first, waiting so the show could build up to what it is today and really get into your story because it's one of my favourites. No, thanks for having me, Dil. Um, yeah, I thought my time had passed when you uh, left the giants <laughs> and I wasn't going to get on, but um, I'm privileged to be here. Mate, it's an incredible story, and I'm not just saying that. Um, we've we've connected a lot through um, my career, the two giants up there, and and the reason I really wanted to get you on the show was you're obviously one of the the AFL's best players. You've just got an All Australian, which is probably should be a three time, but it's you know we're just happy that it's at least happened once. Um, and congratulations on that, mate, because it's it's thoroughly thoroughly deserved, and I honestly couldn't be proud of you because I know what you've. You've had to over, overcome and, and your journey. So I'm really um, keen to touch on it all today and, and give everyone a bit more of an insight into what makes you tick. Yeah, thanks, mate. appreciate that. And, um, yeah, it's been a long journey and, um, yeah, I've kind of reflected on the on the journey so far and there's, yeah, we'll talk about the last 10 years and how it's all developed. It's, it's crazy, mate, because we were the same draft. So uh, 2011, you were picked seven in the draft. You got picked up as a top-age player. Um not saying this disrespectfully, and I've told you this many a times, but you went pick seven and I had no idea who you were. You <laughs> went as a top age pick coming from the Danny Nong uh, Stingrays. You are picked up as a winger half forward. Um, I think you have made these recruiters look very, very good um, through your career. I don't know if they thought you were going to turn out as good as you were. And I say that in the utmost respect in that you've pretty much changed your whole positioning and your role. Like for you, we used to be a forward winger. You've come now as a defender, obviously one of the game's best players. Do you think, and in your wildest dreams, early days, did you think it would get to where it is now? Oh, absolutely not. I um, I didn't start playing footy again until I was 18 and played local footy and uh, played, a, played in the under-18s premiership, played the next year, started playing some senior footy. And then, as you said, came as a cheat as a 19-year-old in the under-18 comp. So I went from under, I went from playing senior footy to them going back to under-18s and coming in as a cheat. And it was a weird transition. I thought I wasn't going to do it at the start, didn't want to do it. So I thought, um, you know what, some some players from Frankston Bombers who could have played AFL said they regretted every time that they um, 
that they didn't go to Daniel and didn't give it a crack. So I thought, oh, at least I'll go there for a few training sessions, get cut, and then have no regrets. So, um, and yeah, throughout that year, I um, played some okay footy. Didn't think I was going that well. Got picked picked up by Vic Country, which I thought was bizarre. Uh, I had glandular fever that year. Didn't get a kick, and I thought that was my chances over. And then finished the year okay at Dandenong, and um, yeah, I, I was in a I was a sparky. Uh, I was in the roof of a house, and Shifter Sheen rang me and goes, "Mate, you're invited to the draft." And I'm like, "Yeah, get fucked. Who's calling me? Here? Who's, who's who's pranking me here?" And uh, no, I was Shifter, and I got invited to the draft, which means I was going to get drafted. So um, it was all a, it was all a shock from the start. But how did the, the one thing I have never actually asked you about this? I knew that had happened, but why did you not play footy for those times? Like, what what was the decision behind that? Like, did you just fall out of love with the game? Did you never see a future in it? Like, what was, what led to you actually giving it up and and not pursuing it as as your eighteenth year? Yeah, so as a kid, I, I loved footy like everyone else in Melbourne. Loved my footy, enjoyed it, cracked in hard. Uh, played under tens, under twelves. Uh, won the best and fairest in under twelves, and then. During that cricket season, I broke my arm when I was a 13-year-old and um, completely snapped it across my arm and came back in the under-14s a year after and I was a complete liability out in the field. I was I was a shocking footballer. Everyone was growing up quicker. I was a bit of a slow burn growing up and um, just fell in love with the game. I think I came 10th in the best and fairest as a 13 or 14-year-old and I told my dad, oh, I don't want to play anymore. I hated it. Like, dad, I'd come off the field and dad would be like, you're playing shocking, mate. Like, what are you doing? Like, you, what are you doing? So I was like, all right, I'm going to give up. And then, yeah, three years passed and I thought the only reason why I came back was because I just wanted the footy functions back. I was about 17, 18 years old and <laughs> I was like, oh, the boys are going to have footy functions. I want to get involved in that. So I thought I'd chuck on the boots and, and give it a go. But um, I actually chose a, the Frankston Bombers because I didn't think I'd get a game for my old club at Somerville Eagles. So, um, yeah, it was a... It was a weird moment being back on the field, but really enjoyed being back playing footy. Pick seven, um, as we said, a little bit unknown, a top age pick, which, which you see now a lot of top age picks come through and, and guys are getting picked up from VFL, Sanford, which is incredible. There's so many mature age picks coming through, but to be a 19-year-old and get picked at pick seven was just something that was not seen at that time. What was it like for you, I suppose, going to the Giants when they had so many top 10 picks, coming in early where guys were you know, playing a lot of footy early days? How, how would you describe your first few years? Did you think that you sort of fitted in with those guys or did it take a while to feel like you sort of belonged? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit bizarre actually because, as I said, I was playing, as an 18-year-old, I was playing for Frankston Bombers local footy and a lot of the players I got picked up with were playing uh, already Tack Cup. Uh, playing Vic Country, Vic Metro, all the way from under the 12s, like Adam Tomlinson's, uh, your Dom Tyson's, all John Patton's. They all knew each other from under the 12s. They all grew up together. And as a 16-year-old, I was um, skimboarding on the beach at Frankston's, <laughs> drinking piss with the boys from Mount Aaron. Like, I was just nowhere. So the contrast from when I was 16, 17, 18 to those boys was so different. And um, I guess the surprise of going pick seven and actually the surprise of getting drafted in the first place because – as I said, I thought I'm going to go to Dandenong and give it a crack and not get drafted. So at least in my future that I can say that I gave it a crack and I had no regret. So the the thought of getting actually picked up never crossed my mind. So I was like, oh, shit, like I've got to play AFL now. Like what do I do? So being from a semi-professional environment for only 12 months and I used to rock up late and just do a lap at Dandenong and think, oh, yeah, I'll roll into it and had to learn a lot so when I came to the Giants it was obviously another step up from that and 
it did take me um, some time and especially I'm a pretty introverted guy and pretty quiet, like my own space and all that stuff. And you get thrown into an environment, a team environment, a professional environment, and it did take me a few years to adjust. And as I said before, all the other boys knew who they knew each other from from Vic Country and Vic Metro and all that above from the draft camp and everything like that. So it did take me some time to adjust and um, yeah, bring out, come out of my shell and show who I actually was. It's 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 crazy, mate. Because I think from an outside uh, outside perspective and, and someone who would watch footy, um, they see Nick Haynes, the player, and they see what he does on the field today, and they see all Australians. They see the composure you've gotten, and and I know you get uncomfortable because you're a very very modest person, but genuinely a superstar and one of my favourite players, and and the best players that I've had the opportunity to ever play with. Because um, I know how valued you are in the team, and I know how valued you are in, in the outside world, but to see someone like that and then now to sort of share your story of the the troubles that you probably had to get over in terms of being the player you are it's it's genuinely incredible you're an all-australian um you should be as we said probably two-time three-time all-australian um but a big you know story a big sort of chapter in your your professional sporting is is the performance anxiety like mental health is something now where a stigma is gone and and in terms of like a, a holistic view everyone you know appreciates these sort of things but something i think in sport and even performance anxiety is not just sport it's it's in the workplace it's you know doing public speaking and these sort of things it's something that's still probably not understood and your story with that um as we said is something that you would you'd struggled through early in your career and i was lucky enough to have chats with you about this um when we're playing because it was something that i was trying to get better at too um talk me through your performance anxiety in terms of in your footy career and and what it was like what did it mean to you and and how debilitating was it and when did you actually realize it was something that was was troubling you yeah i guess i guess growing up i had anxiety throughout my life but not knowing what it was or why i was getting i just thought you know i get nervous sometimes i get nervous a lot and it affects me but i just thought it was nerves so um as i said like as a 15 year old i quit football and that was probably a bit of anxiety there as well and I didn't know it. So that kind of transitioned into my early years of my AFL because I'd never dealt with it. I never accepted it, never even thought it was a thing. So if you don't know what it is, you can't fix it. So you just think it's a part of you. So when I in my first year of AFL, I um oh it was bad. Like I was as I said, like I wanted to go back and just play Frankston Bombers and go to functions and get pissed and have fun with the boys. And then 12 months later, you're playing AFL football and you're like, whoa, this is like, where, where's this come from? So some stories of me, like I remember pre-season, like, you know, you get nervous before a game, like you get real yeah. nervous. That was me every main train session in pre-season. I was like getting up, I was like, okay, got to do this, got to do that, get real nervous, like five minutes before training, everyone's laughing. I'm like, why are you guys laughing? Like, I'm shitting myself. If I make a mistake at training, if I'm going to get yelled at, I don't think I'm good enough in this drill. Um all that stuff. So that kind of transitioned into obviously the my first year when I didn't get picked for round one. I did a full pre-season. I was humming around. like I was fit, but that mental side of football was so important. And Choco and Sheeds probably saw that I wasn't ready. And um, I remember my first game, Sheeds called me and he goes, mate, like you're in. Like you're playing against Geelong in Geelong. Like how good is this? Like tell your family. And I was like, shit. Like I do not want to play. I was like... I didn't ring my mum for like a few hours and I was like, I was like, got off the phone, I was flat. I was like, God, this can't be normal. But like, it was normal for me back then. Like, I didn't even think about it. I thought, oh, I'm just nervous. But it was just, you don't get, if it's your first AFL game, your, your thought isn't shit. Like, I don't want to play. So, 
rang my mum, pretended to be excited, all that stuff. Biggest week of my life. Like I was, I didn't sleep. I remember going down to the game and um, sat next to Wardy on the bus. It was an hour bus drive down there, and I was shitting myself. And he's like, "How good is this playing your first game?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then after that game, got through it, and I was like so relieved. And then the next week, I I was picked again. I played okay, but then. I, I kind of hurt my groin at training on the Friday, the day before a game. We all know Choco, he loves his contact before, the day before a game. He was a psycho. He like was full on tackling the day before a game. And <laughs> and I and I kind of tweaked my groin, but it wasn't bad at all. And I knew it wasn't bad. And I um, told the physio, oh, yeah, it's a bit sore. And um, yeah, well, I could have easily played. And I, the next morning I said, I can't play. And that was purely because that anxiety of playing again and going through that. So um yeah that from that moment after that game i remember just sitting there like what am i doing um like i pl- i could have played the game i'm playing afl football and i've missed the game because of anxiety it's crazy and and to hear that now and i suppose even you looking back and, and thinking that that was a thing and even people today that might not have experienced um anxiety or performance anxiety like they can't comprehend it but from from my point of view as well like i can definitely understand where you're coming from like i can imagine going up to games like on buses like hoping the bus would you know crash in in yeah, terms yeah. of like get out of the game like and yeah, it's something that 100%. i think a lot of people might not be open and honest in, in telling that but it's definitely a thing and i think the biggest thing that that you've been able to do man and, and is why i'm so honored to to know you and chat to you and and proud of you to be able to talk about, like you've been able to overcome these things um which which something to be honest is something still that you know, I am still working through that now. And, and when I talk about performance anxiety or anxiety in general, like I would get that still on a podcast, you know, like I podcast now is now my game day. So going into a, a sh- in, into a show, I'm fine, but it's more the after effect of the show where I go, fuck, did I say the right thing? Like, is someone going to get offended by what I said? Like, and I'll call like the producer Sam, I'll be like, mate, like, oh, was this okay? Was this okay? Like, is that, you know, did I say this okay? Um, and I think it's still finding ways to deal with that now to, to get over it and, and sort of acknowledge it but move it so when obviously you said that you you went through this for a, a lot of your career when did you realize it was actually something you, was an issue when did you realize that you could actually fix it and how did you, you go about sort of moving down that path of slowly being able to train your mind and acknowledge things and and how you do because i think that's probably the biggest part of it which is something that i find incredible yeah as i said um i didn't know what it was so missing a game i thought you know you're just nervous like what are you doing like don't do that again and it got to a point where i think it was my second year and i remember i got sick in a game and i played the worst game ever like horrendous and then i got dropped for about a few weeks and then i came back in the team and i was that nervous to like perform because i didn't want to play like that again like playing football's hard like playing sick you've probably done it before and it's, it's the worst thing ever so came back in the team and it was two and a half hours before the game, you know, when you're in the hotel room. And I reckon that's when I'm most nervous is three to two to three hours out before a game. You're in the- That's the worst time. You're in the hotel room, you're (laughs) sitting there, you're like, there's no one around you. It's a way game. You got the four walls and that's the the time when you're most nervous, I reckon. Because once you get on the bus, you kind of, the routine kind of comes in and- but I remember I just started, I was like, gee, my heart's beating a bit here. Like, and I was a bit, bit anxious and my dad would try to call me and I didn't answer it. And I was like, started puffing and I was like, what's happening to me? And I had an anxiety attack uh, two and a half hours before the Melbourne game. Um, 
And I remember just like, and I, went, I had to go downstairs because we're leaving. And I went down, and Adam Kennedy, who's my roommate now and great friend, he's, I'm like, Kenneth, I'm struggling here. Like, I can't breathe. And he, I remember he just talked me through it and just told me to really calm and very thankful that he was there because I, that was the first time I've ever felt it or heard it or whatever. So I think from that moment on, I was like, shit, I better do something about this. And once I realized what it was, um, that was a major thing in my development because I thought, okay, it's there, accept it, and how are we going to deal with it? So uh, it's been a slow process over the last six years, but um, been chipping it away at it. And obviously, people with anxiety, you still get anxiety. It's about how you deal with it, accepting it, and actually processing it and accepting that you've got it and how you're going to deal with it then. So I think a major thing for me was um, meditation was huge in my development and um, my anxiety comes from fear of failure and fear of the immediate future. And in football, that's football. Like you don't, you could fail and you don't know what's going to happen in a game. So by accepting that and getting stuck into meditation, um, I noticed that I was never in the present. I was always in the future, always thinking in the future. And meditation has really caused me to think in the present and, um, yeah, really have more energy in the present. And, you know, it helps you um, give to others, be more accepting and, um, be able to process things in the moment. So that's been a major key in my development. It's it's awesome you say that, mate, because we, uh, as, as a club, when we're playing at the Giants, and I don't know if this was your start of the meditation process, but was that with Gary Goro at the Giants when we started it, or did you be doing that prior? Were you started yeah. that prior to that? I started about a year before Gary Goro, but yeah. not to the level that he brought into the club. He, um, right. I was dabbling in it. It helped me a little bit. Once Gary got to the club, that... Uh, it skyrocketed my the how well he was able to help me. Um, I'll be ever, forever grateful for Gary Goh and what he did did for myself and a lot of players at the club. Um, the meditation that he bought and um, just for me to be able to be present in life is what he bought me. Something so simple to be present um, is a huge thing. And society these days, like we've got that many distractions that our brains aren't used to with like social media. Um, just the environment we're in, the concrete jungle of society, um, to be able to strip it all back and just be like, okay, I'm present. Like, where am I? What am I doing? And then it, that allows you to give energy to others and give energy in that moment instead of draining your draining your body. Yeah, I love that, man. Adam Zampa, we had on early in the year, and, and one of his favorite quotes was like, "Be where your feet are. Like, be present in the room." Yeah. And it's something that with Gary as well, like being a part of those things, there's still things that I've picked up now that. I still, you know, put implement in my day. And it's not just about footy, it's about life as well. And I think that that's the biggest part. And I, I know, I'm hoping this is uh, on on your wavelength, but I think with this whole thing of like being present, being, um, you know, meditative and being able to control the anxiety, like there were so many times when I was playing footy and I was like, why can't I get better at this? And why can't I get rid of this? Uh, why can't I get rid of my on-field anxiety? Why can't I be consistent, you know, week to week? And why can't I do these things? And it made me realise like, the reason I can't do that is as the reason I can't be uh, consistent in footy is because I'm not consistent in my life. Yeah. And like, I think if, and, and I know this is, well, I, I think I know that this is what you've done, but it's been the, the reason why I've been the biggest admirer of your work is you look at the way you do things now and, and people haven't seen that. So I'll explain it, but off field, you would be one of the most balanced guys in terms of your outside life you, you play piano you walk your dog every day 
you meditate and you do Pilates 15 times a week. Now, the Pilates <laughs> might be too much, but it's so consistent. Like we did Pilates together where we were struggling for injuries, but yeah. I did it for about six weeks. You did it for, you know, six years and, and never dropped in, in those standards. And that's something that I've honestly learned from you in terms of even the podcasting now. You know, I, I want to get one episode out a week. And yeah, I want to do it because it's a podcast, but I also want to do it because it keeps me consistent in everything I do. Like you need yeah. to have something you do every week. How much do you think you're off field? Like, do you think that you got your footy, your footy on field right first and then it helped your life? Or do you think you got your life right first and then it helped your footy? That's a good question. I haven't really thought about that much. But um, I think the the major thing was um, being happy off lot, off the field and being consistent off the field has definitely helped me on the field. Um, the, the one positive about anxiety is if you – it keeps you – um, in check and you know if you fuck with your habits and your consistency that it's going to backfire and you're going to you're not going to perform so that's one positive of anxiety that because you're so harsh on yourself and um, if you get step outside the boundaries that is going to creep into your life and if you're not happy in life then um, that's not going to correlate on the field so the Pilates the piano walking my dog all like the little things the filmmaking stuff I like being creative um, to me is what helps me happy in life and and also consistency. So with that, all that Pilates stuff and my off-field, um, my habits that I have each week leading towards a game keep me in the present and um, if I continue those habits each week, it kind of comes natural and you kind of go into games and it's like a habit now. So you don't even think about, you don't even let anxiety in because it's a habit. You do it every week and your body just takes over and your instincts just take over. So... The stuff I've implemented over the last few years to help me with my life and football have definitely correlated together and they've definitely um, helped each other in each facet and um, I'll be continuing to do that for the rest of my career and even when I retire, I'll be still doing stuff to keep my brain active, creative and those habits consistent. Yeah, it's it's Superman, it's a credit to yourself. With the, the meditation, I suppose... And and the Pilates and whatnot. I know, obviously, you've been doing a lot of work with Petra, who's who's the the um, Pilates instructor at the Giants, who's an absolute superstar. Shout out to Petra, um, Roselle. Shout Pilates. out to Petra, <laughs> Roselle Pilates. We love it. We love it uh, down there. Um, what is your meditation process? There's so many different things of this, and I suppose it's something with me. Uh, Gary Goro was obviously someone who who introduced this to us, but I think for me, you know, I've sort of found my own process in that like I don't do it directly as we were trained to do it I've sort of just found different ways because I think you've just got to work out what's best for you what's your process of meditation do you still stick to those routines or is it something else you've you've developed yeah so I still stick with Gary's um I do 20 minutes a day uh meditation he recommends twice a day morning and night but I found doing it at night time is best for me um switching off the phone Netflix whatever and just sitting there for 20 minutes Helps me get a great sleep and a clear sleep. Like, you know, those nights where you're just thinking, you're staring at the roof and you're just thinking, thinking. I find that really helped me with a good night's sleep and clear my mind. And um, in the last probably six months, I've implemented that along with the Wim Hof method. Not sure if you've heard of Wim Hof. Oh, we love Bill. learning new things on this show, Nicholas. Please <laughs> tell us. I don't know what country he's from. He's some European country, but he's, he's the Iceman. Have you seen the Iceman? He goes into Antarctica and he can sit in ice. For like 10 minutes he's a he's a maniac he's like 60 Far something out. years old no and and it's all to do with breathing so he thinks he can control your mind with your breath so 
implementing him, I do like a these breath holds, um, and I do these more frequently right before a game, and it find it because when the anxiety that diaphragm tightens up, you can't breathe. You know that feeling when you're lethargic and your muscles just go limb and. I find that really helps me. So it's a it's a lot of like hyperventilating and then into a breath hold, and I found that really released muscle tension as well. So I'd start off with twenty minutes of Wim Hof uh, breathing, and then I do that into twenty minutes of meditation um, every day. So I find that releases the the Wim Hof helps my release the muscles, and then the meditation helps the mind. So after that, you're feeling a million bucks. It's incredible. Um, we might have to try that one. Uh, yeah, I don't try know. It, mate. 20 minutes is, is a long time. My brain sometimes is, is quite uh, jumpy, which which would be good. I, I'm sort of like that guy in that movie. Um, he's got like ADD. He sits down for like three seconds. And he's like, yeah, that was sick. I loved it. Um, anyway, what uh, you spoke about the Wim Hof, you spoke about the meditation, Pilates. Do you have uh, – one thing you know I tried to do consistently, and I know uh, you do this well, is like a weekly checklist. Like do you have something that you – to go into each game and to know uh, that you're going to perform at the highest level, do you have something that's, you know, not even in writing, but just sort of in the back of your mind, your weekly checklist, like that, that goes through the, to, to know that you've ticked all the boxes in your head and to go into a game feeling the best you can? Yeah, I think subconsciously I do. Um, it was a bit different this year with COVID. So you had to, you had to really adapt to the environment, which was, which was hard at times. Um, in Perth, that two-week carb, I was, because I'm a very routine-based man and I like to keep that um, in Perth in that quarantine was hard, man. Like trying to meditate, the walls are paper thin. We are right next to the casino and there was fights out the casino at Perth every night. It was, it was crazy. You were hearing everything. Yeah. It was it was nuts. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think subconsciously I do that checklist um, and I know I'll jump out of that if I'm not doing something my conscious will will tell me, oh, you do that every week. Why are you skipping out on that eight-minute ice bath? Like, don't do that. So um, there's definitely a subconscious checklist that I do. And, um, yeah, and then that meditation, when you're doing it, it kind of, if you haven't done something, it will pop up in your mind and make sure you do it. So, um, But in terms of game day, my the, the big thing for me was to simplify my game. And my checklist game day is literally... It's so simple, it's ridiculous, but it, it helps with like just my focus and it is on your toes and react quicker than you forward. And that's all I think about. And that's going to put me in good positions to play good football. So if I go out there and I think on your toes, quick reaction, react quicker than you forward, that puts me in the position to play good football. And obviously there's things outside, of, there's things in a game that you can't control, but that's what I can control to put myself in a good position to play football. So some days, you know, the ball, the mid's, no pressure on it. The mids are getting shit or pressure and your game doesn't work. But that's how you can control as long as I'm on my toes, react quicker than my forward and um, my reaction time is, is better, then that's all I focus on on game day. Thousands of Aussies trust Aussie Broadband to keep them connected to the world, even when they're on the go. Because as well as reliable home internet, Aussie Broadband also offers flexible mobile plans with super generous data allowances and no locking contracts. Their 100% Australian-based support team are ready to help you make the switch. It only takes a few minutes. Aussie Broadband, the actual Aussie way. Search Aussie Broadband Mobile to find out more. T's and C's apply. Hey, mate, you, you are the bee's knees at that role. Look, I won't lie, it's it's... It's something that you've really owned. Um, there's, there's other, obviously, guys that do the role really well, and Sam Doherty being another one of them, who's my, my very uh, close mate, who's, who's an incredible player like yourself. Um, Jerry McGovern, 
Who, who do you look up to in that role as well? That, you know, who can you learn from? And, and can you even explain what that role is? Because basically, as a defender now, you guys are getting tagged by forwards where like it's it seems unbelievable um, that it's happening. But basically, it's it's not really. like Defenders have turned into forwards. Forwards have turned into defenders. Um, and it's 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 one of those roles that we always joke about in footy that it's it's the best role in footy because you're basically a defender that can you know do whatever he wants. But realistically, not many people can do that. You know, like if I was in that role, like I wouldn't be able to do what you do. What what is it? Um, I know you've just said you know what you go into and how you play the game, but what sort of is your role going into a game and and who do you think does it and who do you look up to? Yeah, it was kind of started with um, Josh Gibson and Alex Rance probably 10, 10 to fifteen years ago as well. With Gibson doing it, he used to peel off a lot, but those two players would peel off and spoil a lot. And then Jeremy McGovern came around and he has just taken that to a whole new level where he will come off his man but just mark everything. So <laughs> I think at the earlier ages of my career when I was playing back, I looked at Rance's positioning and how aggressive he was and how he influenced not just his man but then would come off and influence the play. And then that into Jeremy McGovern, how he come off and then marked the ball as well. So they were the two that I looked at early when I played backline and thought, gee, they're playing some good footy. Like, let's have a look at them. And for me, behind the goals vision is key. Like, I still, most games, watch the whole game from behind the goals. And I'm just, for some reason, just love watching. Because as footy, you, 2% of the time you have the footy, what are you doing 98 other percent of the time when you're on the mm-hmm. field? And I find that so important, where you're positioned, where's your reaction, where's your teammates positioned. And so behind the goals vision um, has helped me immensely to just really dissect the game. Um, and then I guess my role on the team, it kind of developed um, organically. I, I, I went down as a defender, just trying to find my craft. And I think growing up as a forward um, really helped me just read the ball. And I thought if the ball's there to be marked, go mark it. Like, you know what I mean? Like as a forward, I used to love taking marks and I think that's where it started and um, yeah, kind of progressed from there. It's funny because I don't feel like you said you probably went down there to develop a craft and find a position, but then all of a sudden you just started taking all these marks and then it just became a thing. Like it probably wasn't – again, you're making coaches look really smart. You're making recruiters look really smart. I don't think they probably planned for that, did they? Like it was more just you just playing your game. No, I was a I was one of those guys that was a shocking forward, so they chucked down back and see if they're any good. I was one of those guys. These guys, this guy's like, oh shit, like we gotta chuck him back or something. He's, he's just not lock getting him a touch. down. Yeah. Literally yeah, just, though. It was like old, lock him down on a forward and just see what he can do there. Yeah. The old just get him to follow someone, you know, he might learn some running patterns as a forward. If you just put him on I remember like in my second year, they're like, Oh, we're gonna put you on Buddy Franklin. I was a sub. He's like, when you come on, you're going on Buddy Franklin's sheet seat. And I was like, I was a sub with anxiety going yeah. on Buddy Franklin. We're getting pumped on 130 points and I'm like sitting there like, oh, no, I'm going to play on Buddy in the last quarter. I'm going to play on Buddy. Bud does his hammy in the third. Oh, I'm on the sidelines cheering because Bud's done his hammy. <laughs> oh, but yeah, mate. It was um, yeah, bizarre. I was like, I was a, one of those washed up forwards that couldn't get a kick and went down there. And I think... Um, like Robbie Tarrant, like he was playing forward. I think I don't know if people remember, but now yeah. he's turned into one of the best defenders in the comp. And um, Liam yeah, Jones, not, Liam Jones as well. And uh, I remember uh, Jer- Jeremy Howe. Jeremy Howe. I remember playing on Jeremy Howe as a forward, and then when he went back. So um, yeah, it's a thing. Shit forward turned into good backs. It's definitely a thing. I, I remember playing with with Jonesy um, in the VFL, and there would and Jonesy will, won't mind me saying this because I've, I've chatted about him before and. This bloke's got the biggest, one of the biggest hearts you ever see playing footy. Like, he just never gave up. Like, 
He was a forward. It wasn't working. They genuinely got to the last year of his contract and they said, mate, get out of the forward line. We want to develop Harry Mackay. Like, we just want to leave him down there by himself. We want you to just go and play full back so you're just out of the way. Yeah. In the second half of the year, I've never seen someone just dominate like that, like in the VFL. And he just, you know, went straight back in. He won the best and fairest off, you know, 10 games and then signed another three-year deal. Like, and he has just reinvented his career. So it's definitely a thing. I reinvented mine a few times, back forward, back forward. Didn't, didn't quite stick, but um, we'll get Tiger. into it. One, no, I never did that. That was just, that was oh, never, you, that was never locked, an option. You locked lids one day, I remember. Oh, he Kill was taking you. me. He was doing a defensive <laughs> role on me. Yeah. That sounds right. <laughs> um, one thing I've got to touch on, and I really want to get your opinion on this, is the 2019 grand final. How would Nick Haynes, as a 19-year-old, have dealt with that in terms of performance anxiety on that day? And and was that probably a moment oh. for you then to go, this is how far I've come? Because in all seriousness, like, I wasn't playing that game, but I felt sick. Like, I like genuinely felt sick. And, I, like, you know, I was probably – when I say probably, I was definitely not playing because I just wasn't even – I wasn't on the field. So, like, I was just watching feeling so shit. Like, how, how could you have felt, man? Like, and – you were one of the best players on the – well, you actually were Giants' best player on the day. Yeah, as a even 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old, oh, I would have battled hard. Like It would have been the worst. I wouldn't have enjoyed the week at all, the parade, the build-up, the media, the fans. I would have just been thinking – I would have been – by the time the granny started, I would have played the whole game in my head. I would have been fatigued. I would have been, yeah, absolutely nowhere. And the, the big crowd would have got to me. Um, so yeah, I would have been absolutely nowhere. So I'm very lucky that, well, we lost by 90 points, so it wouldn't have mattered. But yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, I guess the night before the game, like I was, I, oh, it's a funny thing actually. The night I haven't told anyone this. I was the night before the game. I was we do a jumper presentation of we're giving each other a Guernsey for the grand final, and I had Phil Davis. I was giving my Guernsey to Phil Davis, and. So, hi, Haynes, because this is, I think this is an incredible point. Explain that jumper presentation process because it's something that you don't have to go fully into it, but I think that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, so it's just like an acknowledgement of where we've come and representing the Guernsey and each player had a corresponding player that they were going to present the Guernsey to the night before the game after we went through all the tactics and all that. And um, mine was Phil Davis and... Um, I don't like public speaking the best. Even in a meeting, sometimes I get a bit like throaty and be like, oh, do it like that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, sweet. I've got the skipper. Surely I'm first. Like, Leon, like, come on. Like, not for a game, a bit nervous. Like, I've got the skipper. You know, I've got anxiety a bit. Like, just give me the role first. I'll present a jumper. Like, Hopper's going through, but um, Toby Green, um, you got Heater. 20 minutes later, I'm sitting there still waiting. He's left me for last. <laughs> And like even that, so it still hits you the anxiety. Like you still get it, but like I was last. I've been waiting there for half an hour. I swear, like what am I going to say about Phil? Day? Like it's the captain, like the granny. He's got his calf. Like I need to be inspiring here. Like it's the last talk before the granny. And I remember just like being that nervous. And I got up there, and that's where my progression's gotten better. I actually talked okay, but I still got. I went after it, and I went up to my room and I, I cried, and I was like. I was like pissed off. I was like, why am I still getting so anxious? And then I got up there and I'm like, this is just ridiculous. I've got a granny tomorrow and I'm crying over presenting a jumper to my captain. Like, it's just ridiculous. So I think, as I said, like it's helping my football up. You still get it in life and different situations. But 
I still remember that night, like I was meditating. I was like, okay, let's let's process this and processed it, meditated, and I just remember coming out of the meditation. I just smiled, like I'm like, how good's this? Like just presented Guernsey to the skipper. I'm in a granny tomorrow. The boys have played unbelievable this final series, and I'm just going to go enjoy it. I'm going to give play my best footy and enjoy it. So uh, it's a good correlation of how it still affects you, but also a good correlation in how it's improved me so much as a player. Man, it's, it's unbelievable, and I think. If there's one thing that I've learned about, um, you know, anxiety and, and gratitude and, and anything sort of mental uh, mentality side is, is yeah, yes, you can get good at things, but there's always going to be that coming back to you. Like, so, yes, you can get over anxiety. You can, you can be extremely grateful. You can be, you know, really healthy, but that doesn't mean it's going to be gone. It just, no, it just, it's just like you know how to deal with it better. And I suppose... You know, I think about things like gratitude, something really big for me. And if I put yep. it in, in your perspective in terms of, of the performance anxiety thing, it's like, yes, I can be grateful all the time, right? But there's going to be times where I'm in the worst mood and I'm not grateful or I'm feeling anxious. But you catch it out quicker when you practice yep. it. Yeah, so like it. that could yep. have probably gone into the next day. But because you were practicing it and you had these things that you could get to, like then you could just get over it quicker and, you know, get over it. Yeah, you're exactly right. And people have experienced it like yourself, like – the the biggest thing is acknowledging it and um, accepting it. So, and as you said, like you get over it so much quicker. And um, that's maybe a misconception is where people with like depression, anxiety, whatever it is, that if they look happy, oh, they're they're over it, like it's done. Yeah. But no, it's still with them. So you still got to be, you still got to, um, you know, be cautious of that as as people and. Um, that's why with routine and everything, it's it's such a fragile thing you have to cherish, and that's why with me, routine and all that stuff so important. What what is your sort of routine in terms of like a game day and like going into that correlation? Just like in the morning, is it just literally what like you said, meditation, wake up, feel good, feel free, and then you just know through routine that you've done everything you can do, or is it is it something else? Yeah, so my I pro, I pretty much lock into a game two days before a game. So two days before, I'll do an hour Pilates session. Um, that night, I'll eat like a real nice healthy meal. Um, day before a game, I'll do, and then it kind of my, my routine kicks in. After captains run me and Phil will do long marking on the sideline, I'll go do some kickouts to the forwards, and then it just locks straight in. Um, we'll go out for brekkie home game with uh, Piccolo's in Balmain with a few of the boys. Um, I'll eat a beef foe the night before a game now. That's my new thing. So I've been doing that for the last two years. For sure. For sure. It's delicious. (laughs) Um, So I'll eat my foe and then obviously that meditation before the game, then I'll sleep in. Same thing every morning, poached eggs on toast. And then it kind of the routine just kicks in. I'll go for my morning walk. And then once you get to the game, you've got these little things that you do each as you know, as being a football club, there's all these little habits that people do and it comes so naturally. Um, right before the bounce, before the rooms, Spike McVay, he'll kick some footies at me. Um, when Phil was captain, we'd run out. I'd run out first. He'd always wait last and I'd give him a high five and he'd tell me, yeah, we can go through the banner now. So that was a little thing. Like All these little things just help your mind just go, okay, it's, it's time. It's time to work. So... Um, yeah, usually two days before a game, I really, I really lock into the game and start visualizing and um, really just starting to calm myself for the game. There's so many little nuances, I suppose, that people wouldn't know about that each guys do. Like, you know, I never knew that about you, but 
when I was playing at Carlton, for example, like two things of players that stick out to mind. I hope that mind me saying this, but like Levi Caswell, he doesn't go out in the ground before a game. Yeah. So like, it's I, I don't you know that seems crazy, but like that's it's something that works for him, and obviously it's it's working because he's having one of his, his best years. Also, Kate Simpson, who, who just retired, he was always the last person to run out, like on the yeah. ground. Yeah. So like, it was so funny because like you know guys might come in and he'd sort of just stand there like literally <laughs> just waiting for people like to go but if someone else like wanted that he'd like well obviously he's gonna he's gonna yeah. have the trump card there because he's played about six thousand <laughs> yeah, games but he was always the last person to run out and just you know he'd just stay there like he'd just wait to the end and everyone just knew yeah. it and everyone accepted it and just knew that um that was gonna happen so there's so many little nuances there that players have that's so, that's so levi's fun. never run out before that that first warm-up he doesn't go out I don't think so. No. He just, like he what does he do? Just out, the changes by himself. Well, he goes out for the warm up, but yeah. I don't think he goes out like, but you know when you can go out by yourself, like yeah, an yeah. hour out and just yeah, yeah. sort of yeah. go out. He, you know, obviously for the warm up he'll go out, but you know when you first get to the game, if I was playing at the G, I want to spend as much time there as I can because yeah. it doesn't happen very often. So I just yeah. walk out there, take some photos, hang out with the boys, <laughs> shake some hands, try and get some photos taken, so you know they're yeah. good for the, the bar. <laughs> um, other guys, you know, they don't really like doing that. Um, Mate, 2020 Giants, um, it, it didn't obviously go the way it was planned, um, you know, being a pretty crazy year and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, from the grand final to, to not, you know, making finals, um, it, it wasn't ideal. Like, there's no there's no hiding that. No one's saying that that's a pass mark or anything. And obviously, would be pretty disappointed because you guys know how, how good you were and are. Um, what do you think was a, a big factor in that like was there something you can put your mind to is it something where you just say like look it wasn't our year let's go again like what what, what was the wrap up yeah it's the million dollar question um obviously you know at the end of the year you have like discussions uh, as a as a team with the coach um as a club and you go all right what do we need to work on and we started the year off we had a we were, we were flying we were, um Pre-season, I think we smashed Richmond in a pre-season game. Round one came around. We bet Geelong, who are obviously two of the best teams this year, and COVID hit. And then we had a tough um, tough training program during COVID, and everyone came back fit. And then we lost to North Melbourne in round two. And um, what they spanked us. And like I think we lost by 30 points, but they just destroyed us. And kind of felt like we are chasing our tail ever since. And um, obviously, we had the hub and... Uh, we we won some real tight games, but it just I don't know. It was it was something we couldn't get the ball inside fifty to start um, the first half of the year, and then but we're scoring heavily. And then the second half of the year we um got it in heaps, but then couldn't score. And mm. um, yeah, I don't know. I can't say that I can't say the hub had a impact at all, or or whatever. Or I don't know if it was the um, exhaustion of last year's grand final or or what but um yeah all i know is that um the people as you know the people at the club are amazing from the coaching staff to the staff and the players and everything all i know is that we'll be playing finals footy next year yeah that's that's all i know and like the people at the club um you know the experienced players and that i just think we're just going to put it down as a shit year, to be honest, and we're going to regroup and, um, yeah, and this club's not done with yet. Where people say that end of era is over, like Zach Williams going, Adam Core's going, uh, there might be one or two more players going as well, but we know about footy these days and system, system wins grand finals, not players. So um, as long as our system's good and 
uh, we stay tight, um, yeah, I can all have success in the future. Mate, it's such a good answer. Um, I absolutely love it and probably couldn't have answered it any better because I think from my point of view and being outside of, you know, the four walls now and, and not even to do with Giants, but I think in, in footy we're so reactive and things. We're always trying to find a problem, always trying to find an answer to something. Sometimes there isn't an answer. Like sometimes it's just a shit year, as you said. Like you don't have to put it down to one thing and try and fix that one thing. Sometimes you just go, you know what, it didn't work out this year the way it did, but – one thing I'm really excited about, and I know the Giants are, are the biggest in this, is they're a proud, very, very proud club. Like the boys there, as long as yourself, as well as yourself, are super motivated. I think that this is just going to add to the story. Um, and we'll touch on the story in a minute, which you're having a big part of, because it's actually probably going to add some dollars onto your project. But the uh, it's just going to add another another awesome chapter, because you look at that and you see the grand final to to this but then bouncing back next year with Cog's situation as well of, of obviously that like clubs are people are looking at that going far out you know these guys are off but I know that this is going to be a massive turning point and um, I'm really excited for next year for the Giants so we said it first um, as you know we're, we're on to this <laughs> and, and we know it's happening but um, it. no nah, it's, all, it's all about momentum if you had to pick though this year being a 2020 strange year who, who do you think's going to win? Um, oh, I've to- lost total interest in the footy now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, oh, it's well, still no one's really talking about Port Adelaide, are they? And mm. they've been the most consistent club. Everyone's saying Richmond's just going to come. A few injuries coming back in, they're just going to steamroll everyone. But I'm going to stick with Port Adelaide. The, what they've done this year has been pretty remarkable, and I think they'll translate into the finals. I reckon. I'd love to see Port win it, just as you said, because they've dominated all year, stayed on top of the ladder. I I, I don't like the week off in this season, though, because I think it's actually going to hurt them more than anyone. Like, they've yeah. had this massive momentum. And I think finals is literally all about momentum. It's just, yeah. you know, best team. And as the Giants were last year, it was just that win, 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 and you build that momentum off winning and winning tight games. Um, mate, all Australian. We touched on it um, earlier, but congratulations. Um, super, super proud and rap for you. It's, it's well well overdue. When we're doing the prep for this show, I actually said uh, Nick Haynes is two-time All-Australian. Then I was like, well, I want to check just to make sure it isn't three. And then went back and it was one. So very a little bit of disappointment there from, from my behalf because I know how um, how much you, you deserve this. Mate. But it's not that you play the game for, for these awards, but congratulations again. How did that feel and I suppose as we touched on it mate coming from where you have to be now an All-Australian um, you must be pretty proud of yourself now yeah thanks Dale appreciate it mate um, yeah I guess it's got me reflecting as as we've reflected throughout this podcast it's, it kind of got me reflecting over the last 10 years um, of my journey and um, it got me really grateful of the people who have helped me get there I guess and as we talked about, it's been a it's been a hard journey, and I faced some hurdles that I've had to get over, and some forks in the road where I could have chosen a certain way, but I've dug in and chose the harder way. And I couldn't have done that without a lot of people in my life, and um, that's just got me reflecting on certain coaches and certain players, certain family members, um, my partner, um, about how important their role is where I'm at today and so it's just got me really grateful to be honest and um, I nothing something I don't take lightly at all um, it's a it's a great honor and I guess there's a lot of people that I've I'd like to thank 
well, I've thanked during that period of, of who have really helped me get this way because one, if one person wasn't there or one person timing wasn't right with something they said, I could have easily chose chose a different fork down the road. So I'm very grateful to the people that have I've crossed paths with in football and in life in general. Yeah, for sure, man. Obviously, one being your partner Beck, who's an absolute superstar um, who we love. So shout out to her. But shout to Beck. The biggest fan, um, and for me, looking at my life, my you know the person I love and 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 holds very dear to my heart is my mum, and I know that's very uh, similar to yourself. Um, your beautiful mother is is your biggest fan, and I'm I would say I'm up there, but your mum is is oh, your, Shelley, Shelley, your mum is your biggest fan, and she's got the Nick Haynes uh, fan club. She loves uh, she loves her Twitter account. She loves getting around all your posts. Talk us through, Shelley. talk us through Shally and and her love for you and maybe her social media, what she's been up to. Because I think Shally's got her own fan base now on social media. Oh, stay away with Shally on social media. No, nah, <laughs> nah, she's a, she's great. She's a very proud mother, and um, it started very young when I went to the Giants. Um, I noticed that like there was no um, Nick Haynes badges anywhere. I'm like, where are they? You go to the shop, like there's like, everyone. Someone's like, saying, my mates are saying, where do I get these Nick Haynes badges? And I'm like, I don't know, mate. They must not, not print my name. They just got Jeremy Cameron and all that, whatever. But mum actually bought the whole lot, I think. <laughs> she she bought the whole set. She's selfish and bought the whole thing. But um, oh, she puts them on her scarf. But and she loves her. So she's all over social media and and all that stuff. But um, oh, I just let it go. You can only you can only be happy with that mother's a proud mother. And um, oh, I'll mate, let her do it. You've got to be proud of that. You've got to be proud of that. They are they are definitely um. No, she's a yeah, superstar. She's, star, she's, she's she is, um, mate. Just on the All Australian as well. Obviously, at the moment, I want to get your opinion on this because it's probably, as I said earlier, and and these are my words, not yours. But I feel like a lot of players get overlooked. You know, whether that be from other states or if it's in a position that's not needed. So it's almost like you need to make it to then make it, like the the year yeah. after. What what's your your thought on? I suppose at the moment with that, like in terms of positions, like at the moment. Um, you can see, like you know, Dangerfield and and Dustin Martin, who are like the league's best players with with Bond and Powell and stuff. But they're like as half forwards and forward pockets. Do you think that should be kept for guys like Papley and and Wingman as well, or is it like what, what's your thoughts? It's a real tough one because if you if you look at that as a backman, if I look at that forward line with um, Dusty and Bond playing forward, I'm scared to be honest. Yeah. So it's a tough one. It's like, do you pick the team and go, oh? We're here to play a game of football. If we're picking a game of football to play, this is the team with you, or do we pick the team based on positions and reward the positional players? So it's also obviously a tough one. Then also with Papley and Butler, they obviously would get the best defender locked into them each week, especially after their hot starts and a lot of attention when we do opposition, a lot of attention goes into those type of players as well. So it's kind of a flip of the coin whether you go, do you reward the position or do you pick a team that is going to go out there and play the best game of football? So, And then on the other stuff as well, with you got to kind of get that name out there first to get one. I kind of agree in that as well. You, I think Darcy Byrne-Jones last year's year was amazing. Like he, I don't even think he made the score. I, I could be wrong, but... I yeah. remember his year. I remember watching some games of footy. I'm like Darcy Burn. Like he, he was like my favorite player to watch. And him and Brad Shepherd as well. Amazing. Made the forty. Lucky to miss out on it last year as well. So, I think if there's a flip of the coin in who we go, they go with. They go with the guy that um, 
you know, has, has built that, built those years. So uh, it's a tough job though for the selectors because no matter what team you put out, no matter what you do, yeah, it gets ridiculed straight away. And it's kind of sad that that's kind of the main story of when it all odds comes out, that the main story is who missed out, not congratulating the guys that got yeah. it. So, um, yeah, it's a tough gig. No, nah, it is, man, 100%. You're so right. It should be it should be more, you know, rewarded of the guys that have done it. I suppose everyone's a critic these days and everyone wants an opinion. But couldn't agree more on Darcy Byrne-Jones. Uh, besides yourself, mate, he's genuinely one of my favourite players. And I've said this, and I was saying to producer Sam um, last night, I was tweeting about Darcy Byrne-Jones <laughs> in 2016. I'm going to yeah. get the tweet up. I was on him early, and I'm still on him today. He's a genuine superstar. My opinion, I suppose, on the small forward thing, the only thing that, that the reason I'm probably passionate about the small forward and at least having one of them in there, um, like a Papley or, or a Butler, is because that position is is the hardest position on the ground. Yeah. Like so many people try and play that position to be able to add pressure, kick goals and consistently do it. You're running, you know, 15 Ks a game probably. And it's, it's genuinely the toughest position because you're in, in the middle of all the play. It's, it's such a hard role. So I think if you can seriously master that, like it would be good to, um, it would be good to reward it and having at least one pressure forward in there or someone, you know, a true small forward in the team, you know, would be good. And I think it's the same as, as the wing as well. Like with a wing role, that's such an underrated position. You know, you've played, we both played with guys like Tom Scully, who was probably one of the best wingmen, you know, of the modern era, but no one would know that because it's not documented of the things that wingmen actually yeah. do. You, you know, like yeah. the, the high possessions, it's all the off ball running and these sort of things. So it's hard. It is tough. Um, it is tough to pick it because you don't know, like you said, it's, it's people picking it. It's a hard role to do, but yeah, there's there's always going to be critics. But I just think those role players are so highly regarded in that aspect. It would be good to have them in there, I suppose. Yeah, I reckon. Um, as you said, like those small forwards positions that hard. It's like getting tagged every week, and and kicking goals as well. So, as I said, the the opposition spent a lot of time analysts on them, and um, yeah, definitely, I think at least one of them should get rewarded. Mate. Moving the pace because this is now into your off field. We've 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 knocked it out um, out of the park, and you've done an incredible job. To be honest, I would want to go run through a brick wall, post this, and just meditate <laughs> through it. Um, something that I love about you, your off field stuff that I was I forgot to touch on earlier, but I knew there was a segment coming on it was the filmmaking and the and the documentarian making. You're you're a modern day whiz. Um, basically, for all those people out there that don't know, like you love um, filmography, you know, filming, editing. Um, you're actually in the process of doing a giant documentary. Is this documentary, this filmmaking thing, something you want to pursue off field? Is it something you can see yourself transitioning to post footy? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Obviously, I'm 28 at the moment, and um, I think I got about four years left in my contract. And I've kind of been thinking about life after football, and uh, it's definitely an option. I'm trying to figure out whether a lot of the stuff I'm doing is a hobby or if I can do it as a profession after football. So, um, yeah, I've been doubling a bit of that. I've doubled in a bit of – I bought some decks a few years ago. I thought I was going to be a music producer. <laughs> I've I've, I've um, bought, like, music and tried to actually produce music and create my own beats and that and now with the film stuff. So I've kind of doubled in a lot of areas and um, that – I got to figure out if they're a hobby or if a profession. So, I think we've got we've just found out we're not going to get back to training until January six or something. So I got three months, and I'm going to really, you know, I'm, we're going. Me and Beck are going to go camping up to Byron and back, and I'm going to spend a lot of time just like 
thinking about what what I'm going to do after football and hopefully come back as yeah something that I can really progress over the next few years. Did the love for, for filmmaking and, and documentary stuff come from watching documentaries? Because I am a massive fan of docker. Do you, is that is it something that you were watching? Were like I want to do this. Is there, is there things that have sort of you've watched over time? That you've been like, yeah, this is sick. Yeah, I love I love um, seeing the nuances of documentaries and what style they go for, and um, yeah, whether it's a real soft uh, build up to the end or whether they um how they capture emotion and all that so as i said before i i, I like to I, I find myself i express myself best through song music video photography and stuff instead of using my words and all that stuff so i find that stimulates the, my creative side of my brain and um yeah definitely watching documentaries and um as a, the doco uh the jordan doco you saw that one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was very good, and I what just like free solo. We we watched yeah, that free one. Yeah, free solo, the elite, sweaty palms throughout the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. During that, oh, incredible documentary, and and that's what I want to get across. I like um, touching people through video, and um, that sounds a bit weird, but through <laughs> video, <laughs> through video and music and that kind of stuff. So, um, if it helps my creative side, makes me ha- be happier, I should progress doing it. I think. Some of the documentaries I love that I've written down just for a little uh, taste of, of something maybe to watch or if people haven't. All This Mayhem, the, the, the Pappas brothers are professional skaters from from Melbourne. Um, unbelievable. Have you seen that one? They, they go over no, and compete in the US. It, it's, Is I don't it old school or new school? Too much. No, it's, it's new school, but it's from based in the 90s of the, the, Pap, yep. uh, the Pappas brothers. Um, basically, like they're the professional skaters. They head over to the US and compete against Tony Hawk and stuff. And oh, I won't say sick. too much more because it's genuinely uh, one of the best dockers I've seen. Free Solo, we touched on yep. about right. uh, the guy who, you know, climbs the um, the mountain. That's not a very good um, El Capitan. synopsis. El Capitan. Yep. Anything with Louis Thoreau, Ross Kemp, I love. Um, yeah. There was another doco, which is a little bit weird. This one's pretty crazy. It's called Tickled. Have you seen that one? <laughs> no. I okay. would never watch a movie or a doco. Yeah. <laughs> entirely no, tickled. Good. It's it's actually quite scary. It's a bit, bit strange. So maybe skip that one. And then Sam, producer quite Sam strange. has been talking about this one for a while is Gyro Dreams of Sushi. So basically it's a sushi chef um, talking about how he perfects his work um, and about his son following his legacy. So basically that apparently that's one of the best documentaries of all time. I, I haven't seen it and it's got five stars. So he's raving on about that one i've got to watch it too so i've got a bit of time on my hands over the next three months so i'll knuckle them out mate last thing i sort of want to touch on um because there's so many facets you as you said you've got your filmmaking meditation pilates um your videography your djing one passion of yours um that is was set back in time and we miss this earlier but your skimboarding you are a, a victorian champion of skimboarding <laughs> Raining too. It was the last raining. ever comp. Raining. I'm raining. <laughs> First awesome. and last ever comp. I love it. Where, where was this down at, down at Frankston? Uh, yeah, so Frankston Foreshore Festival every year. The headline act is the skimboarding comp down there. <laughs> and um, being from Frankston, there's no waves there. Like There's no swell because it's in the um, Port Phillip Bay, obviously. Yep. So mum bought me a skimboard when I was 15 and – you go down at low tide at Frankston and uh, if people that don't know what it is, it's um, a small wooden flat board with no fins or anything and you throw your board 
and in the tide pools you skim and you yeah. um do some tricks and stuff you can do like shove it and yeah. um big spins and ollies and whatever and neck breaks we yeah it was, it was awesome and then we kind of progressed that to building rails down there and um there was a crew down there that was sponsored by nemo and i was 15 they were like 18 i was like oh these guys are so cool like but i wasn't good enough yet so i was like <laughs> want to improve and i get, went down there every day improving improving and i finally got the courage to go over there and be like hey can i use your rails and we used to build rails out of pvc pipe plywood and crates and we used to um if you want to see it just type in franks and skimboy into youtube and we'll, we'll have it in the show notes we'll have it in the yeah, show yeah. notes i've got my own personal one that i edited nick and skimboard in there too <laughs> um but yeah we, and then the, we kind of had this little crew of um all these ramps we made and like we were making like um half pipe kickers we we're making sc rails we we're making these kink rails and um yeah the franks the foreshore festival um my first year as an open skimboarder um Took away the prize with a 540 big spin, shove it off a kicker that, that, won, that won the comp. And there's a picture of me winning a $150 check, which I was pumped about. Yeah. I won some Trigger Brothers merchandise um, and some T-shirts and stuff. But, um, yeah, definitely a career highlight for mine. Man, the future's always been bright for you, whatever field it's uh, whatever field it's in. What What is next for, for Nick Haynes? What do you want to... Get out of the the rest of it, man. Well, like we talked about the transition out of footy. What, where do you want to be, and and what's next for you, short term and long term? Yeah, well, short term, I, I want to look at the future and trying to set that up and what I want to do. So whether that's filmmaking or um, initially I wanted to be a fireman, or and I also wanted to own a cafe. So it's trying to nut out what I want to do. But as years go on, I'm, I've also got a little. Um, fancy in coaching i think maybe i don't know i thought i'd never say that but i kind of like that facet of the game so who knows i could roll into that side of the game as well and um and that kind of transitioned to my long term so whatever i'm doing now we all know that football doesn't last forever and you don't want to get to the end of your career and and not have anything which a lot of which a lot of players have and like yourself you were you did really well that year that you were developing yourself now look at you you're million you're a star down there in melbourne you're a big name and no. When, when I told my Mrs. Beck that I was going to be on the Dylan Friends, she she's got hysteria and actually couldn't believe it. She's like, "Oh my God, Dylan Friends! Like, oh, I listen to that every week." She was so excited. So, um, just walking in your footsteps, mate. You know, obviously you've shown that um, if you put your mind to something and fully commit to something that you're passionate about, that it's going to come off. So, uh, look at it following your footsteps there. Oh mate, I wouldn't wouldn't say that at all. You've, you're already above me, that's for sure. But I think it is something that, to be honest, something that I I was forced to do was was look at that option. But like you said, I think if anyone that has time, like and I always say this to like kids, if someone not that anyone comes to me for advice at all, but if anyone asks me <laughs> like what to do, I would say like just try things. Like I did so many days of work when I was at Carlton and Giants of like. You know, I'd go do real estate. I'd go do property development. Then I'd go do like commercial leasing. I'd go do uh, PE teaching for a bit. And I was like, I didn't yeah. realize what I wanted to do, but I realized what I didn't want to do. And I was like, yeah, that, yeah, I think that's sure. nearly the battle of it. It's like not realizing. It's like process of elimination. Like you do all these things, try them out. And like I was never an academic. I didn't love going to uni and, and studying. And I was like, well, if I can just go and try that out for a week, then I can know what it's going to be like. Then I can commit to it. So. Yeah, not that, 
not really a message for you, man, because you're already you're already doing that. But if if anyone is out there thinking of of transitioning, I suppose that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, it's great advice, and as you said, like you may think it's a good idea at the start, and be like, oh, yeah, I'll do this, and then and then you realize, no, that's not for me at all. So, um, and it, it, something will pop up that you don't even think of, like um, you don't pop three years ago, you probably weren't even thinking that, and three years ago for me, I wasn't thinking about film or movies or anything. So. Um, it kind of and it kind of leads you into that spot as well. It kind of tunnels you into like a final answer, and um, it's it's good advice for young people as well to just go out there and try new things. And yeah, you know, if it doesn't work out, onto the next one and keep going until you find your passion. Yeah, just keep punching, mate. Thank you, honestly. Thank you so much. Um, to be honest, I don't you know I say this a lot, but honestly, one of my favorite chats I've had on the show. Um, your openness and and your story is something that I think has helped me so much and I'm not just saying that but like honestly knowing you as a person and what you've been through and I, I don't think you might not understand sometimes the impact that you can have on people so I think that's why I wanted to, to get you on the show the most because you're truly truly a beautiful person with, with a great story that's overcome some crazy things and to be where you are now I know you're proud of yourself but I don't think you realise how much impact you probably can have on other people um, and I think by, by doing this um, now I hope it gives a bit more to everyone else an understanding of, of the guy you are because I'm truly, truly blessed to, to call you a mate and, and can't wait to catch up for a few beers uh, soon. Uh, very kind words, Dylan. Um, I highly appreciate it. And um, yeah, really, thanks for having me on. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Luca Ganano. Richard Stansbury looks after the audio and editing. Samuel Kenny Creative is responsible for branding and graphic design. And the show is recorded at 3AW Studios, Collins Street, Melbourne. If you would like to contact my son, head to dylanfriends.com or look me up in the white pages and I'll pass it on. Listener.